everyone, it's Benji here. I just want to let you guys know that the Budget Overland podcast is uh, no more. Uh, ended that back in February 2024. I just wanted to come on here and give you guys a disclaimer as to not buy anything from Budget Overland Official. The only two things that you should be able to join is the Facebook group, and that is under groups, and it's called Budget Overland. You have to ask to join. It's still up and operational. And then BudgetOverlandPortal.com will still be up and operational until the domain name runs out, which I believe is good till 2026. Anything, everything else that's Budget Overland out there, please don't support. Please don't buy. It's either spam, scam, or something else. Uh, just want to let you guys know, I did start a new podcast called Newfound Overland. It's available on all major platforms. Love to have you over there. Uh, just kind of disclaimer here, guys, up front before you get into today's episode. There's a lot of gold out here. You know, every episode we had some good guests and good topics. So I don't want to discourage you guys from listening further. So please do. And I'd love to see you over on Newfound Overland. Bye-bye. Welcome back to another episode of the Budget Overland Podcast. I am your host, Benji. And today's episode is actually pretty cool compared to the last few I've had because I've had technical difficulties and I keep mispronouncing people's names. And I, I apologize so thanks for returning to all the listeners out there in listening land. Uh, today's episode is pretty cool. Uh, I've talked to this guy a couple months ago, met him down in Oklahoma for the Okie Overland Swap Meet. Uh, we went camping, I believe, that Saturday evening where it was hotter than the devil's armpit, and so was the water. But I'm done complaining about that trip, I think. Um, so anyway, uh, Cody from uh, Red Dirt Taco on Instagram he did. He wrapped up a phenomenal dream trip of most of ours. Uh, he drove. He's from, uh, let's just say, central Oklahoma. Drove all the way up to Alaska and all the way back. He allotted himself 32 days and over 14,000 miles. His vehicle of choice for this trip was a third-gen Tacoma, fully decked out and loaded. We'll get into his build specs and all that and how he planned for this trip and uh, pros and cons about it, things he learned and takeaways, and just kind of fill us all in on uh, a really long trip like this, because uh, I, I know for a fact I would do this trip in a heartbeat if I was allowed to and able to. And uh, so, yeah, without further ado, Mr. Cody Allenbaugh, how are you, sir? Doing pretty good. How are you, Benji? Good, man. Appreciate you hopping on here. I was twisting your arm that one night at camp, just trying to get you to come on uh, the show, but... Uh, we're here now, so that's all that matters. Absolutely. So we uh, we were hanging out um, at the uh, Oki Overland Swap Meet, kind of picked up a little bit here and there, and someone's like, yeah, that dude just got back from a, a month-long trip to Alaska and back and all this stuff. So I was just kind of drooling over that, came up to you, bombarded you with questions. Then uh, I think around that campfire at night, everybody was kind of asking you these same questions. And uh, so, yeah. Let's just get it all out there, and and um, I think this is going to be a fun episode. So yeah, man. Again, I thanks for uh, for coming on and sharing the story with us. So let's talk. Let's go back to the genesis of all this. Uh, when did Cody get started in the off road, overland, or even uh, camping outdoors? You know, uh, when did you start the outdoorsy kind of lifestyle and to where it evolved to where you're overlanding now? Well, I guess I've uh, always uh, been kind of an outdoors person and uh, camping here and there all of my life, but uh, it didn't uh, become the quote-unquote overlanding lifestyle for me until uh, about uh, 2020, so not very long uh, that I've been off-roading uh, and traveling 
around the country, mostly uh, the western part of the U.S., but uh, uh, I started out with uh, car camping and overlanding, actually out of a Honda Civic. Oh, uh, nice. me, me and my daughter would uh, would travel around uh, uh, from Oklahoma all the way to California and everything in between uh, hiking and uh, kind of evolved into more off-road whenever I uh, – I had trouble on uh, some trips uh, getting my Honda to some of the trailheads, and that would extend our, our hike by a little ways because we'd have to park up the road or something or risk tearing the tearing the vehicle up trying to get into a trailhead where we wanted to hike. And, uh, yeah, switched over to the uh, third-gen Tacoma. So going from the Civic, how, how many years or how many, you know, how long did you guys use the Civic as your, your vehicle platform? Well, I really used that from just in 2019 on into 2020, and uh, later in 2020 or early 2021, I I, I don't recall exactly when is when I uh, switched over to the uh, uh, Tacoma. So it was just a a, a year, or a little over, that we were really doing that uh, out of the Honda very much. So- did you quickly recognize that, hey, this is really fun and I need a more capable vehicle? Is that kind of how you, you led to a truck or, or, or how did you guys make that decision? Well, I'm, I'm kind of a truck guy. I had the, uh, had the car uh, to commute uh, back and forth to work and uh, uh, I, I have a truck and have I've always had a, uh, well, it's always, for uh, quite a while I've had a uh, Chevy Silverado, but it's a two-wheel drive and it's just a, a truck just just to use uh used to get around everywhere and used to move stuff around just just a truck nothing special yeah. hadn't done anything to it but uh we were actually on a trip in Colorado and we were in uh I don't remember exactly where somewhere in uh southwestern Colorado whenever I really decided that I'm going to have to get something more capable if we're going to continue to do this, you know, camping out of the camping out of the car, you're, you're kind of limited in uh, a lot of spots you can get to trying to get uh, more secluded uh, camping spots for sure. And uh, uh, I was in Colorado and if, if you're in Colorado for very long, you look around and all you see is Toyotas. They're, mm-hmm. <laughs> they're all over the place. So I just kind of considered that a sign. And it's a, uh, actually, it's a glorious sight. It's a glorious sight yeah. to behold. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So I, uh, like I said, I considered that a sign. And actually, on our way home from that trip, I traded my Honda in for uh, Tacoma before I even yeah. made it home. Heck yeah! Stopped by a dealership to test drive one to see if it was something I was going to like. I'd never even driven a Tacoma. Wow. And uh, uh, you know, I'd been doing a little bit of research while we were while we were out on the road and. Uh, uh, for a few days, I just kind of settled on the Tacoma, and now I've uh, dove in head first and <laughs> went yeah. from a stock Tacoma to what it is today. All right, so let's take this next part a little slow. I know most, not most of the listeners, but we can we could say most listeners are probably Toyota fans. Um, did Jeep <laughs> ever cross your mind as an no, option? No, not for me. Okay. Not for me. Now, so you, I'm I'm not a fan of them. It's not uh, not any particular uh, thing. It's just uh, yeah. I I I worked for Chrysler uh, for a while as a uh, mechanic, and I've kind of st- stayed away from all of their items. I guess just kind of you just <laughs> get tired of seeing them and just 
yeah. don't ever no, want to have that's one. Fair. So did you look at a forerunner or any other platform or were you just coming from a truck? You wanted a truck. Uh, no, I never looked at a forerunner. It was, it was always, uh, it was always the truck was, uh, what I had in mind. Cool. Uh, I, since then I have looked at forerunners and considered making a change and my wife, uh, she absolutely loves the forerunners and, uh, she wants, she wants to trade her car in eventually for a forerunner. Cool. Well, that'd work out. Win-win situation. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's what I was thinking. I was like, you know what? Having another platform to be able to uh, oh, travel awesome. with yeah. rather than uh, her Camry would be excellent. Yeah. We were, uh, my wife and I were kind of talking about that because a lot of people know, like I've got a 23-year-old third-gen Toyota 4Runner, which I've spent a ton of uh, hours and money on, you know, with upgrading parts or replacing bushings and all this stuff to where it's fairly reliable up until a couple months ago where I've been uh, finding or trying to chase these little shaking vibration gremlins. And I think I figured it out after months of, of trial and error. But nonetheless, me and my wife were talking about she's got a Cherokee and she's also got a um, um, like an Acura. The Acura is more like a uh, you know, go to work, go to church kind of vehicle. And then her Jeep's kind of just a higher mileage. Uh, you know, it's got some scratches and stuff. Um, but we were thinking about, man, it'd be nice if we just sold that or sold both and, and just put that money towards like a nice, um, or nicer, um, you know, traveler, not, not necessarily an overland buggy, although we could probably do that. It'd just be more something to where <clears throat> it's like you said, like another platform that doesn't have you know, it's not fully loaded, but it's very capable, capable to still go to those fun places and camp and explore. Um, that's more, more modern for us, I guess, but didn't mean to hijack your thing there. If you feel no, no, fine. like we've got time to kind of go through the build, uh, I, I say that loosely, uh, I've seen your rig and it's, it is decked out. But is it a TRD Pro or a TRD Off-Road? Was it an SR5? What was it? And and then kind of walk us through uh, kind of mods or, or different things you changed on the vehicle. Well, it started as a uh, TRD Off-Road. Uh, I had looked at the Pro, but uh, uh, I knew that you know one of the biggest uh, draws to the Pro was the suspension. And I knew that I would probably be changing the suspension out at some point for something better than the Pro anyway. So mm -hmm. I uh, went with the TRD off-road, and um, yeah, uh, my very first thing was uh, was tires. But uh, I got quite a bit of use out of the uh, out of the even the factory tires on it. I I took it completely stock and uh, uh, made a trip through uh, through Colorado and uh, hit a lot of the uh, mountain passes in the San Juans uh, and ripped the uh, the terrible factory predator Pre steps off of it yeah. on uh on mineral creek uh just outside of uray and um uh then took it uh we drove all the way to california and done the mojave road trail uh across the mojave with it and i found a few weak spots in it that things that i wanted to change one of them being mm -hmm. tires so i uh put a little more aggressive tire on it goodyear duratrax and uh, I didn't, I didn't go up much in size. I went from the factory thirty ones to thirty two, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, then uh, I kind of let the trail and uh, and things that happened on the uh, on the road uh, dictate exactly what I wanted to do next to it. And 
one of the things in uh, Mojave was uh, going through whoops. Uh, they were some of them were actually deep enough on the trail that uh, my front bumper was hitting. I didn't have enough pr- approach angle, hmm. so then I knew it was time for a lift. And uh, you know, since the factory front bumper was what was hitting, I decided I better do a uh, high clearance uh, front bumper on it. So done a full steel uh, RCI uh, RCI bumper. And uh, for the lift, I went with uh, Bilstein 6112s in the front, 5160s in the rear, and um, uh, the Icon spring pack in the rear to uh, to get the stance where I wanted it, but still have adjustability with the uh, with the rear ride height since I knew that I would be adding more. And um, eventually ended up uh, uh, getting, uh, well, let's see, what would my next item that I put on be? It was probably the winch. I went without a winch for for quite a while because uh, going up into Colorado, I, I try to go up to Colorado four or five, six times a year, do a, you know, a few weekend trips and a few uh week long or so trips, uh, to Colorado. And, uh, you don't need a winch a lot, uh, in the mountains in Colorado, but, uh, ended up over your direction, uh, Northern Arkansas, uh, stuck in the middle of the trail for about seven hours. I'd buried in a, uh, I was buried in a mud hole by myself, Mm. no way to get out and, uh, actually had water and mud flowing into the vehicle because the passenger side was underwater. Man. So after I got out of that and uh, had to uh, gut the interior of my truck, I decided that uh, it was time for a winch because uh, I, I would have been out within about 10 minutes if I'd have had one. That's so frustrating. But <laughs> instead, I ended up walking up the road. And that's an, that's an interesting story in itself is uh, <laughs> walking down the road looking for someone to help you in remote places in Arkansas. Yeah, but um, then uh, to get prepared for the Alaska trip because I was planning that for nearly a year. Uh, I knew there were some things that I wanted, and I wanted a rooftop tent. I'd been uh, uh, camping out of a ground tent, which worked fine. But uh, when I knew I was going to be spending thirty days on the road and in a tent uh, every night, uh, especially with the uh, uh, the weather in. Uh, Northern Canada and Alaska it rains quite a bit uh, during the summer, during the time I was going. I went from the middle of June to the middle of July. Uh, rooftop tent seemed to be uh, the best thing, uh, best idea uh, for camping. And uh, I decided to go with something that was fairly quick to set up. So uh stopped by the guys over to Oki Overland, talked with them for a little bit, and they happened to have a Lightner bed rack. Uh, in stock that they had ordered in for someone else and had been sitting there for a while. So they made me a killer deal on it. And I bought a uh, 230 Kabari wedge style rooftop tent. And I absolutely love it. That thing from the time I uh, hit the kill switch on the truck to the time I am in the tent, ready to lay down. I can, I can, I can be in, in 60 seconds. I mean, it's, That's insane. Uh, it's, it's great to be able to do that and tear down. Mm-hmm. I'm i uh, I'm not a, big guy for setting up uh setting up camp and a campfire every night especially uh whenever i'm solo like that and you know no one likes sitting around a campfire by themselves uh talking to themselves so <laughs> most of my uh 
most of my camps were uh were fairly simple uh uh boondocking just uh wherever i could find it was a, a decent safe place to set up for the night so the uh the rooftop tent the, with the quick setup worked great for me cool well, let's shift gears a little bit. So we found, you know, out how you got to your, your platform, kind of, you know, what your rig consists of. Let's talk about now coming up with your trip, like planning it, your destinations, uh, allotting your time, all this stuff. Um, obviously, like you said, you, you take multiple trips out whenever you can, you know, so like this, this is a huge trip for you, correct? Like going to Alaska is a big, big trip. Yeah, yeah, I'm probably not going to get the opportunity to take a month off of work uh, all that often to be able to uh, do something like this. So I wanted to, I wanted to be able to get the most out of it that I could. Yeah, can you talk us through kind of the beginning uh, planning stages for you? Like, kind of like, was it months in advance, or was it like weeks, or was it years in advance? Um, about a year before. Uh, I kind of come up with the idea that I'd like to go to Alaska. I didn't know exactly when at that time. And, uh, that was, that was where things started for me first was figuring out what, what time of the year I wanted to go and, uh, would be able to go. Uh, obviously, uh, crossing Canada and going into Alaska and to be able to uh, go a lot of the places I wanted to go. I was probably going to be going in spring, summer, early fall. So uh, I figured out what would be the best time weather-wise to where I would be able to get to every place and uh, kind of landed on the middle of summer and uh, just had to pick some dates, get pretty close anyway to the dates that I wanted to go uh, that worked into my schedule, but uh, the weather was also uh, uh, good up north. Um, and then I started researching the area, and a lot of that's just Google. Uh, I got a, uh, a book called The Milepost. Uh, it's a uh, book that uh, kind of covers trips from the lower 48 to Alaska and back. Uh, it gives multiple routes and uh, it's, a, it's a pretty good sized book, a couple hundred pages of uh, a lot of information about, uh, about Alaska and Canada and uh, trip planning and, and uh, just just a lot of the uh places things to go see and do uh while you're there and and along the way uh but uh yeah I, I basically started with what time of the year I wanted to go and then started working out a little bit of details of how long I could spend how long I wanted to spend in each place and my my original idea was I'm going to spend a month so I'm going to take about a week going up a couple weeks uh, in Alaska and a week coming back. But uh, after I started, got a little bit deeper into it, exactly how long it was going to take to drive places and how much there actually was to see in uh, in Canada, I, uh, I ended up extending my time uh, on the way up in Canada a little bit because mm. it, I mean, <laughs> making it across to, uh, Canada to Alaska in a week is, that's, that's moving pretty quick, mm -hmm. I found out. Uh, it it looks small on the map, but uh, you know, <laughs> out there on you're the, talking about the... yeah, going four thousand miles from home. That's it's it's a long drive. Yeah. So 
were you so if you're planning like a week up there a week or two weeks you know hanging out in alaska and then a week back uh, roughly were you trying to cover miles miles or days what was your goal for like each day what was the drive uh for you to keep pushing i guess what were the goal to at each day in the beginning in uh what i call the 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 boring areas i guess uh especially whenever you know you're just you're trying to book it across Kansas, Nebraska, uh, what I wanted to cover was uh, 800 miles a day. And there's a lot of areas in Canada, too, where you really want to cover as much as much ground quickly as you can, because there's just not much, not much to see. You're going across the plains. And uh, I didn't want to spend that much time in the lower 48, because this trip was more about Canada and Alaska, something that, uh, that I won't get to do, uh, you know, every year, where any anything from here to Canada, I can I can squeeze those trips in uh, just about any year. Hmm. So my my big days were 800 miles, and um, I put in quite a few of those because I believe over the course of it, I averaged somewhere around 500 miles a day. I I haven't even put it to the calculator to see exactly what it was, but uh, yeah, uh, my my big days were 800. But uh, there, there were days where I may only uh, end up camping 30, 40, 50 miles from, uh, from where I camped the night before. It just depends on what there was to see in the area and to do. Mm-hmm. But I, di- I did leave it kind of uh, open-ended. I didn't have any, uh, any place to be at any particular time except uh, back home to return to work by a certain day at the end of it. So uh, I... I did as much research about the uh, uh, things to do and see and things I did want to go to along the way as I could, but uh, I didn't, uh, I didn't make any reservations. I didn't, uh, I didn't uh, hold myself to any particular date so that if I did want to change my plans and go somewhere else or skip something, uh, I was, I was open to that. So whenever you made it to quote unquote Alaska, were you like, "Yay, I'm here," or did you already have something planned out for Alaska, like the Arctic or anything like that? Um, any any highlights you wanted to check off your list? Yeah, absolutely. I I I did have my route planned. Uh, if, you know, of course, I did stray from that uh, from time to time. But uh, uh, you know, w- once I got uh, once I got to Alaska. The first thing I wanted to do was head all the way north to uh, Dead Horse up the Dalton mm-hmm. Highway. How was that experience once you reached it? You know, I've seen pictures. I've not been there, so I've seen pictures. And once you kind of reach that area, you know, everybody slaps a sticker on the wall and all that stuff. Like, how, how surreal was that for you? Or was it just kind of like <laughs> a it, lot to take it, in? It, it was an accomplishment. But, man, that, that yeah. road is just, it's a slog. Uh, yeah. And I, I just a couple of days before that, I had went up the uh, Dempster Highway in uh, Canada, all the way up to uh, Inuvik, and then up on up to Tuktoyuktuk to the Arctic Ocean. And that, the, <laughs> those those roads are like uh, the Dempster and the Dalton. The Dempster's a little bit longer than the Dalton, but they're both around 450 miles one way, mm-hmm. and it is just a it's just a dead end road. You get to the end of it. Uh, you see, you know, on the <laughs> Dempster tuk tuk uh, at the end of it, you turn around and drive 450 miles back there. Mm. It's, 
it's uh, they call them highways, but uh, they are uh, they're gravel roads. They're maintained yeah. gravel roads. Uh, it's like a lot of forest service roads as far as uh, uh, maintenance and uh, condition. But um, uh, you know, normally on the forest roads down here, we don't have to deal with frost heaves that uh, that yeah. tear the road up like they do up there. But uh, the the north is just a it's a different it's a different animal. It's it is uh, it's humbling to uh, to get out in those uh, remote places and know that you are 200 miles from the next fuel, uh, the next anything. Now, there's 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 quite often no electricity, no water, or anything for hundreds of miles on uh, on some of those uh, some of those roads. And uh, but you know you I don't know it's um, you get to see a lot of things that you definitely don't see down here in the lower 48, seeing uh, uh, just uh, the, the mountains, rivers, the uh, swampy tundra uh, a little further north. You know, it wasn't uh, since I was in summer, it wasn't covered in snow and ice, but uh, there's still snow and ice that are in certain places uh, year round. Yeah, man, that would just be a wild trip. It, it'd be fun if you could take off and just do a, you know do a whole summer up there you know four months even you know that'd be awesome and oh, uh, a- a- absolutely and you 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 could there's uh alaska is very big but there's not a lot of roads there's not a lot there's not a lot uh, uh infrastructure in a lot of places but you 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 dig into it and you find a lot of a uh, lot of uh really neat things some of the uh some of the places that uh that i uh uh, did go to like uh, uh, McCarthy Kennecott uh, down in southern Alaska. I wasn't planning on going there, but I saw this little road on the map that was just a dead end road that went out to a little place, and I was done a little bit of more, little bit more research uh, into it while I was on the road, and uh, decided to go out to it. And it was it was great. You you get out to the end of the to the end of the road, and uh, you have to walk across a footbridge to walk into the town. Locals oh, can drive wow. into the town, but uh, but they don't uh, they don't allow a lot of uh, outside traffic, so that tourists aren't hmm. driving around this small town that has like three roads. And I what? I don't even know if they had stop signs in this town. What was the town called again? Uh, it's McCarthy, Alaska. Mac- I think I've heard of that. It looks super run down, right? Like overgrown, almost. Like, is it just yeah, a real sec- there, okay? Real secluded. There's there's very few uh, very few houses or buildings uh, in the town. Uh, so. The old Kennecott Mine. It's actually um, it's uh, it's all in the Wrangell uh, Saint Elias National Park, mm-hmm. and uh, the old Kennecott Mine uh, is out there, and it's it's now uh, run by the National Park Service uh, as a tourist attraction. But yeah. uh, you have to take a you either have to hike out to it or you take a shuttle out to uh, the Kennecott Mines from the town of McCarthy. But uh, McCarthy is uh, is really cool. It's 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 got a little saloon there, and during the summer they have live music like every night, and it is I don't know it's just it's just kind of a a, a small party. It was almost like a yeah. hangout around the campfire like we have down here whenever we got yeah. uh, you know fifteen twenty people around. It was, uh, it was, uh, it was very chill and, uh, it was a lot of fun. Very cool. I like those. I like those little stories and especially like, you know, 
experiencing it's a different culture no less because you know those people are out there and in, in the middle of nowhere pretty much you know they're they're cut off from a lot of things that we take for granted for sure down here in the 48 but uh you know just experiencing that i think that would be just fun in and of itself you know around locals and stuff like that yeah and, and by that point in my trip again i was on a uh, solo trip and i'd been out uh, by myself for quite a while so it was uh it was actually good to hang out with uh with some people for a little while and <laughs> get you know, some get, socializing get to, get, <laughs> yeah get, get to talk and uh realize i still knew how to use my voice and <laughs> <laughs> chipmunks were tired of talking to you yeah That's you can funny. only talk to yourself so much on the road <laughs> so let's talk about some other uh just random things i know a lot of people have asked questions on uh budge overland facebook group and we'll read those off towards the end here a little bit uh, but as far as like planning for your fuel, your food, um, and your hygiene, you know, as far as showers and all that stuff go and, you know, just taking care of yourself, um, how, how did that play out, you know, versus when you started and once you kind of got your rhythm going, like, can you kind of share us and walk us through kind of what you did? Well, the, the fuel, I started out, uh, you know, obviously in the lower 48 and it's, it's easy to find, easy to find fuel down here. Uh, you know, if I can go 300 miles in my truck on a, on a full tank, I can, I can drive past dozens of gas stations without having to, uh, having to fill up or, uh, worrying about fuel. Once I got, um, a little further, uh, into Canada, I realized that there's not a lot of people in Canada. There are less people in all of Canada than there are in California. Yeah. California alone has more people than the entire country of Canada and it shows with their gas stations. Mm. <laughs> they are few and far between in some places. Uh, so I'd, uh, I'd prepared for that somewhat, uh, ahead of time by having two jerry cans, uh, mounted in the truck so that, uh, that I did have 10 extra gallons of fuel. And I also quickly learned if you are, Anywhere near a half of a tank of gas, do not pass a gas station in Canada if it's open. Uh, so many of their uh, of their gas stations uh, in Canada, and it, it changed almost instantly when I got into Alaska, changed back to something I'm familiar with, but so many of their gas stations are very old. There's no pay at the pump. Uh, you, you generally pump your gas, then go in and pay for it. Uh, but uh, most of them also close about 6 p.m. and they close the station down and go home. And if you uh, if you need if you're trying to put a lot of miles in and drive late into the night, you need to fill up early in the afternoon and uh, make sure you do have uh, uh, plenty of fuel on me. Uh, I did. I realized that uh, having about 400 miles of uh, of range is something that uh, anyone. Uh, doing a lot of the things that I've done in Canada and Alaska are, is, is advisable to mm. have at least 400 miles and don't go past a gas station. If you're at about a half a tank, um, uh, I think you also ask about, uh, planning for, uh, hygiene and, food. uh, and uh food. yeah. And the food, I'm pretty simple on food. Uh, I don't, uh, I'm not a big foodie whenever I'm on the road. It's, it's kind of just, uh, uh, calories and nutrition, just, just what I need. 
uh, try not to uh, snack a whole lot on the road, so I don't uh, I don't have a bunch of that with me, so that I don't come out of the trip weighing you know three hundred pounds. <laughs> Fourteen thousand mile road trip comes back a hundred a hundred pounds heavier. What happened? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, I didn't take a lot of clothes with me, and I still need them all to fit by the end of it. So, <laughs> uh, no, I, honestly, uh, what I do for uh, a lot of my food uh, on the road like that is I, I just have wraps. I buy lunch meat, uh, some lettuce, cheese. Uh, always, always take some sriracha with me. Love my sriracha sauce on everything, uh, and uh, have a lot of wraps. Now, I did have some of uh, the. Uh, uh, peak refuel, uh, freeze dried, uh, meals that, uh, that I'd eat every once in a while. And, uh, then I would stop, uh, a few times to grab something to eat. Sometimes it was just as simple as fast food to stop in at an Arby's or something and get something. Cause I, I feel like I've had too many turkey, turkey wraps or turkey <laughs> sandwiches or, uh, yeah. like, like we talked about when I was in McCarthy, they had a, uh, they had a little restaurant that was a, uh, it was a, uh, it was a fairly nice place and uh, probably more expensive than I uh, thought it was or intended whenever I went in because a single meal for just myself was sixty dollars by the time I got out. But mm. I figured I was uh, figured I was okay to treat myself to at least one steak meal on the uh, on the trip. Absolutely. And then uh, just uh, carrying my water uh, at the time, I had the eight gallon water port that I carried on board. And, uh, most of the time I would just, uh, uh, fill that from a clean, safe water source. And then, uh, I would drink out of that. And, uh, as far as hygiene, uh, of course the water port came in handy for that with, uh, with being able to take a quick shower. Uh, a lot of times it was cool, not necessarily cold, but a lot of times it was cool. So it was a very quick shower just to, uh, just to uh, quickly clean off, but uh, about every uh, uh, three days, I, I would try to stop uh, stop in at a campground or uh, Love's gas station, you know, truck stop where I could uh, where I could actually get a shower and uh, and uh, clean up and uh, then uh, wash my clothes because I I didn't take uh, much clothes with me. I didn't want that much to keep up with. And I knew that, uh, at least once a week I'd be able to, uh, to wash everything. So I had like two pair of jeans, two pair of shorts and, uh, about four or five shirts, uh, and a hoodie and rain jacket, windbreaker. Uh, but, uh, when you're in uh, Northern Canada and Alaska, the most important, the absolute most important item of clothing is a bug net to put over your head the mosquitoes are awful uh, man watching people like on youtube or whatever even people out doing their documentary stuff even with the bug net on it just looks miserable like the amount of mosquitoes and bugs there are it's just like <laughs> no thanks to a certain well, point you know it comes with the territory that so. i i would uh I would put a ball cap on, put the bug net over that so that the bill of the cap actually held it back off of my face because they would bite you through the net. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd put a windbreaker on, pull the hood on the windbreaker over the top of my head, put gloves on, had jeans on or, or pants, and that, that would happen anytime I was going to get out of the vehicle. Uh, wow. Whenever you're in, 
whenever you're in a town, it's uh, it's not quite as bad. But uh, if if I were just to pull over alongside uh, a road to uh, uh, just to use the restroom, it was it, it was awful. Just as soon mm-hmm. as you get out, they swarm you and they do not go away and they they absolutely cover you. Uh, even <laughs> even urinating was uh, was fun because you do not want any extra <laughs> oh, exposed skin. So yeah, are they? So if you had bug spray, is there any amount of DEET that would help knock them down, or or not really? Are they just kind of too much? It, it would too, it it would help, but uh, uh, I didn't take. Not, uh, I didn't take any bug spray with me at all, and I never got any or used any uh, the entire time. I, I'm not a big fan of putting the bug spray on my skin. I, I don't like the smell of it. I don't like any extra chemicals if I can, uh, if I can keep from it. But uh, uh, people that I saw and hung out with uh, from time to time uh, would have it, and they would put it on. But uh, just from looking at them, they had uh, just as many mosquitoes on and around them yeah. as I did me. Oh wow. Okay. I'm not I'm not really big into bugs and stuff, but I'm not I'm not saying I would not ever go on this trip. So with that being I, said, I be, I became very proficient at setting up my tent uh, quickly without getting uh, extra mosquitoes into it and I'm and sure that in. came in handy whenever you have a self, you know, like a a really quick deploying, you know, shelter like that. That would definitely yeah. come in handy. I couldn't imagine Ab- spending 10-15 minutes out there doing that. No, no. If I'd have had the if I'd have had the ground tent, just just setting that up and taking minutes to do that. The longer you were out, the more mosquitoes gather in the area. It was, oh, gosh. yeah, it, it it was a big part of it. But but honestly, after a few days of learning how to deal with it, it 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 didn't stop me from doing anything. All right, man. Before before we get into these questions, is there anything that you took with you? that um or or let me rephrase it let me say is there things that you planned on taking that you took that you absolutely used in or or did you have stuff that you took that you're like why did i bring that um or was there there a heavy or there were more or a more amount of one thing versus the others i don't know how i'm wording this but hopefully you're getting now i I'd, I'd done quite a bit of uh, research into exactly what was needed, and some people say you need two spares, uh, spare tires, or some people say you only need one. Well, I put new tires on uh, right before the trip, so I just went with one spare tire and uh, never needed it, but obviously that's not something I'm ever going yeah. to decide to leave at home. Good. But um, uh, I'd, I'd, like I said, I'd done some research into things that other people had done and watched lots of YouTube videos so that I could uh, prepare myself and have the, um, uh, have everything I needed, not have to uh, buy anything while I was on the road to fill a, uh, weak spot in my, uh, loadout. But, uh, honestly, having, having the experience, knowing now what I, uh, uh, what I didn't know then, I probably would not, uh, brought, uh, my diesel heater with me. I used it uh, three or four times, and uh, it, it was. I, I honestly only got down to uh, around twenty-five degrees was about the coldest at night, and I I would have been just fine with uh, with uh, my quilts and blanket uh, in my tent those times anyway. I 
I don't know. There are a few things that I would add that I definitely would add and, uh, and like to take next time. Uh, but it's, uh, it's nothing major. A lot of it's, uh, a lot of it's just clothing with, uh, with having thicker jeans as, as I found mosquitoes can bite through your pants and your shirt very easily, even through, uh, thinner jeans, uh, mm. up there. But, uh, no, there, there's not really anything that I brought that I had wished I had left, uh, mm-hmm. besides, like I said, maybe the diesel heater. Very good. Do you have a list, a physical list that you went off of? I mean, I'm sure you did, but is there something that we could probably share with the, the, the community of kind of what you packed or, or it's okay if there's not. No, I really, I really don't have that. I, uh, I kind of have a spot for everything in my truck and, uh, I just, I, before any trip, I just go through and make sure that I do have, uh, some of those things in, uh, cool. you know, obviously I'm adding, uh, different things depending on what the environment I'm going into is. But, uh, for Alaska, since I was going through, uh, you know, mountains, desert, yeah. plains, everything. I, I, I took most of the items that I normally take on, uh, on any of my trips, whether I'm going, uh, into the desert or, uh, Northern Colorado in, uh, fall. Yeah. So I think that, that, I mean, you're an experienced traveler and I think that's probably going to, you know, depend on your experience. So I, I guess that's, uh, that's a tricky question for a lot. So yeah, answers that. Well, let's get into some of these Facebook questions. They might make sense. They might not, but I posted here an hour before our recording I said, if you were planning a long trip from central United States all the way to Alaska for an overland trip, what questions would you ask someone who's completed that trip? So we had about 29 comments on here. We'll just go through, touch on a couple of them. Uh, If you want to pass, just say pass or whatever. Uh, This (laughs) one's from Daniel Dolan. Of all the things you took with you, what wouldn't you bother to take next time? And he says he's got uh, a Land Rover and he's really, you know, he's mindful of his uh, small platform. Yeah. Yeah. Well, having a, uh, having a Toyota, I'm uh, mindful, mm-hmm. a Toyota Tacoma. I'm, I'm kind of mindful of uh, things that take up extra space and especially uh, extra weight. Um, of the things, I, I think it's probably kind of what we already covered. I probably wouldn't take yeah. the diesel heater and the extra diesel. Yeah. So everything else yeah, you felt was efficient because it's already your load in kind of routine and you kind of adjusted it for the colder weather and things like that. Yeah. Right? The, the, the only other thing that I had that, uh, that I really didn't use would be, um, radio. I, I hardly, uh, I listened on my, uh, radio, just uh ham radio and GMRS. Oh, you had but, a ham. Um, Did you pick up any, anything with your ham radio? Uh, like well, local mostly, to you? Mostly I'm, mostly I'm scanning uh, uh, a few different uh, common frequencies and calling frequencies, but uh, but I'm scanning all the uh, uh, GMRS and MERS frequencies uh, as well hmm. while I'm on the road. That way I can so, – sometimes you run into some things and you get some uh, little uh, free entertainment on the road while you're listening to people. I actually – yeah, that reminds me of a story uh, whenever I was going across uh, Canada, I was kind of – Bored in a spot that there wasn't much around, and uh, I caught uh, 
it was uh, two older couples that were both driving uh, large pusher RVs. They were talking back and forth about some place they were going to stop to go hike that they had heard about it from a local at a gas station a little ways back, <laughs> but they were telling which mile marker it was at. And I realized that they're, they're traveling pretty close uh, with me. And, uh, and I pulled over and gone ahead and uh, went for a hike in that spot. I thought it might oh, be a nice. little creepy to, uh, to tell them that they, uh, I was listening in on, on their conversation and they're, <laughs> they're the ones that brought you. me there. <laughs> yeah. So shortly uh, after I pulled in, I, I saw them rolling in. I was like, Oh, there they are. I better suckers. not, uh, I better not scare them to jump back in their RV and leave. That's actually really cool, man. That's funny. <laughs> All right. Here's another question from Jake Musgrave. Best places to eat in each state. He wants to know specifically, where's the best place you eat in each state? And you could answer this with well, a grain of salt if you want. I didn't, I didn't go out to eat uh, a lot or stop at any, uh, any great places. And again, like I said, I'm, I'm not much of a foodie when I'm on the road, but, uh, uh, the, uh, I honestly don't remember the name of the place that I ate in uh, McCarthy, Alaska. I would have to, uh, I'd have to look you at it to, Look back at it to see. It is uh, one of the two places that you can eat in okay. McCarthy. <laughs> I was going to say there's probably only one or two options. <laughs> yeah, but, there uh, are uh, there are two places, and uh, yeah, there's there's not much awesome. else to eat for about a hundred miles. So uh, is that more like that. a home home cooking? What would you? Or was it like a real fancy place? What what kind of style was it? Was it bar food? You know, I thought it was going to be more like a. Uh, uh, cafe that you just stop in at and get some home style food or something. But I walked in and it was a very fancy place. They, uh, mm. they did ask me what kind of wine I wanted <laughs> with the, with the meal to begin with. And, uh, uh, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I declined the wine, especially after I saw some of the prices, but, oh, uh, gosh. you know, when you're, when you're eating that? a, uh, when you're eating a sixty sixty dollar meal uh, for one person, it's yeah in a small town in Alaska. That's that's pretty fancy for them. Is uh yeah pre- pretty gourmet, a little uh, higher class than I normally eat. But it was a it was a great meal. Was there a dress code? Did they did you walk in? They look at you like <laughs> who's this traveler? <laughs> no, it 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 was not a it was not a big place, and uh, I was dressed about the same way everyone else around there was dressed. Just just fairly casual cool. jeans and a t-shirt uh cool they uh they, they didn't look at me funny or anything uh but uh they wanted they wanted the business no doubt so that's good it's yeah it, it's it's not the kind of place uh i would generally eat at here at home in oklahoma but uh hey i was there i was already in there and uh it smelled great so uh i decided to go ahead nice but, yeah the the only recommendation i have then would be uh mccarthy alaska whatever the name of the uh restaurant that's right beside the saloon we'll put that in the show notes after we once we click <laughs> up here we'll we'll look it up we'll put it down in there <laughs> we'll yeah, tag yeah. them on instagram too i'm sure they got an instagram account uh moving on uh, chris hein hunbury sorry bro uh bathrooms food sleep breaks border crossings wildlife sketchy areas um keeping busy entertained Hidden surprises. We've covered all those except for the border crossing 
and maybe some sketchy areas, possibly wildlife. You want to touch in on any of those real briefly? Uh, yeah, border crossing. Uh, if you're planning on doing this, do a lot of research and watch some. Um, do like I done and watch some YouTube videos of border crossings. You can you can look um, get a lot of information on border crossings from RVers and uh, you know a lot of the van life community. They um, they seem to have more Canadian border crossing videos than on overlanding uh, than the overlanders uh, have on YouTube. But um, yeah, Canada their their laws are much different than uh, than here, especially being from Oklahoma. Uh, I I was not able to take uh, a uh, firearms which I normally carry on me all of the time uh, here in Oklahoma and around uh, most of the U.S. Uh, I couldn't even take my pocket knife that I normally carry because really any any knife that uh, you can open with one hand, whether uh-huh. it is by flipping your wrist, gravity, pushing a button, uh, even a spring-loaded, uh, just regular Kershaw uh, uh, spring assist knife, uh, you, you cannot take that into Canada. So I actually bought a Swiss Army knife so that I could have a knife legally uh, with me in Canada and uh, could cross the border with it. Uh, there's there's laws on uh, taking food across the border, uh, the amount of uh, alcohol, tobacco that you can take. But uh, mm. the biggest thing is stay away from anything that could be used uh, for defense. Pepper spray is a no-go that will get you turned around at the border. Uh, you can, and I did take bear spray with me, which I suppose in a... Uh, a defensive situation against a person I could I could and would have used it how effective it is I I'm sure it will uh I'm sure it would deter deter a person but um now I I was uh, uh stopped at the border and uh brought inside for questioning on my way into Canada I I called it an interrogation I went in the room they asked me to empty my pockets lift my shirt up so that they could See that I had nothing on my waist, lift my pant legs up so they could see I had nothing on my ankles, uh, hmm. where they set me was down a, on one side of a table and started asking me questions. Was it a busy day for them or a slow day? It was a up? very, it was a very slow day. Uh, hmm. the border crossing, uh, north of Kalispell, Montana that I went across was a fairly small and not as used, uh, border crossing. But I just uh, went up to Glacier National Park on my way up, so that was the uh, closest border crossing for me to cross uh, into Canada go to to go to uh, Banff and Jasper National Parks in Canada. But uh, no, they they brought me in and interrogated me for a little while, asked about mm. firearms and any. It was the strangest questions they 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 asked me if I had anything that I could use for self defense. And uh, that's something that I had heard about before, and you absolutely do not say, "Well, yeah, I could, uh, I could use my pocket knife here if I had to to open it up, or I could use my pepper spray." They, they basically do not allow you to defend yourself. Crazy. And they do not, they do not want to hear that you might be even willing to defend yourself. But uh, they let me, uh, they let me go on my way, and then uh, crossing the border into Alaska from Canada. Uh, whenever I showed up, I had my driver's license and my passport out. They didn't even look at my driver's license. They handed it back to me. 
They check my uh, license plate on my truck, uh, check the number on it, scan my passport, let me go and said, have a good day. No, no wow. questions were asked at all. It was, it was seamless crossing back into the United States uh, yeah. uh, from Canada at the northern border anyway. Well, they just, just look at your, your passport or, or what and then just wave you on in? Did they try to, yeah, they, to they search looked, your vehicle? Looked, nope. No searching it. Now, they do they do have a uh, 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 low-power x-ray that you drive through. It's, it's, uh, it's kind of obscured a little bit, but it's, uh, they're not trying to hide anything necessarily. But, but I'd uh, kind of seen from some videos what they look like and what to expect as far as that goes. So I definitely uh, would not try to sneak anything past any of the borders. Uh, that, can, uh, that can get you in a lot of trouble and so thrown into jail I've- in another country. I've heard of people stateside, uh, you know, with their firearms, because, you know, people like to go up to Alaska and hunt, not necessarily in, in, in Canada, if, if, you know, if they're not allowed to or whatever, but, um, you know, like an FFL dealer or something like that, they will ship their gun, firearm, whatever, what have you, to a licensed dealer in Alaska. Is there any way, or have you heard of any way to transport that to Canada? Probably not a firearm. <laughs> Yes, you can. You can. Uh, it's. It is possible, from what I understand, to transport a uh, handgun, but it is very difficult. No. Uh, handguns are basically not allowed, even for Canadian citizens uh, in mm. Canada. Uh, you can transport rifles across uh, fairly easily. They do have to be locked in a case, and um, the ammo has to be locked in a separate case. Um, uh, you. You do have to get some uh, permits uh, to be able to cross with them, and you need a reason to be crossing. And uh, self-defense mm-hmm. again is not a uh, not a good reason for them. Uh, so the you you can even hunt in Canada, uh, but if you are coming from uh, outside of Canada, uh, not a citizen, a Canadian citizen, then from what I understand, you you basically have to have a guide and you you have to have the paperwork where you've uh you've uh you've already booked ahead of time for a hunt with a guide you have to have uh all of the permits and uh uh, uh things before you can uh, before you can enter before they'll allow you to enter uh with yeah. a firearm you can also transport them across to Canada for the same reason or to Alaska sorry for the same reason but uh it's kind of the same way they they really like to know uh where you're coming from, where you're going to, and how long you're going to be in their country. And uh, mm-hmm. they they really want to know that you are going to leave their country. That is wild. Yeah. It All was, right. Well, that was, an, it was different. that was another question. Yeah, that was a question from uh, Jason Hensley. So, yeah, man, appreciate that. Um, we kind of already talked about that. Chris said, what did you take that you wished you would have left and why? He said diesel heater. Um, border crossings we've talked about. I think that's about it. Anything else you want to kind of touch on? I'm kind of going through here, proofreading some of this stuff. Oh, here's a good one from Kelly. Uh, what part of the journey was the least was least like you had imagined it. So what part of the journey was least like you had imagined it? Oh, uh, 
I would say the Dalton Highway and, uh, uh, you know, from uh, Fairbanks to uh, Dead Horse in Alaska, uh, both of the longer highways, the Dempster Highway and the Dalton on uh, there were there were just uh, some things that happened on both of those trips for me that definitely were not uh, something I did or could plan for uh, on a Dempster Highway in Canada, just north of uh, Fort McPherson, quite a ways north of the Arctic Circle. There was a uh, fatality traffic accident on the road that had the road shut down for 22 hours. So at that point, I had to make a decision. Do I want to turn around and drive uh, 10 plus hours back and uh, not make it to my destination of the Arctic Ocean? Uh, or do I just want to wait it out? And I ended up waiting it out and we were uh, stopped along the highway with uh, a lot of other uh, travelers and uh, it kind of turned into a impromptu party. Not, uh, not that we wanted to uh, necessarily celebrate uh, with a fatality uh, accident ahead, but uh, sure. everyone got out of their, their camper vans and uh, uh this, a different array of overlanding and travel vehicles. And as uh, people started cooking stuff up, sharing things, talking to each other, mm-hmm. sharing stories in between getting back into our vehicles so that we could get away from the mosquitoes for a while. But uh, that uh, was definitely something that was unexpected and not, not, uh, not something I, I planned for, but uh, yeah. wasn't necessarily a, uh, a bad experience. It may have been for a bad yeah. reason. And then mm-hmm. on the uh, Dalton highway, in Alaska from uh, Fairbanks to Dead Horse. Uh, on the way up, you know, uh, I was taking my time, kind of chilling, seeing everything, pulling over every now and then to get some pictures. You know, you got to get the, got to get the Instagram pictures at the Arctic Circle and, and, and all of that. But uh, on the way back, uh, when I was leaving Dead Horse, I made it about uh, 50 or 60 miles south and saw two uh two people along the side of the road uh yeah. cyclists that were working on their bicycles and when you are that remote in the north you you kind of stop for everyone even in the summer in the from can, can you from, can you kind of put it in perspective how many miles out you know you were from civilization i guess these these cyclists were uh there's 60 miles south of dead horse there's not much in dead horse and about 400 miles from fairbanks miles. which would be the next biggest city uh, there is one it's coldfoot is the name of the town but it's not really much of a town it's uh it's one uh truck stop fuel stop it's <laughs> they have a restaurant it's very basic <laughs> uh very all very, in one very basic very remote uh, but that's about uh, halfway between Dead Horse and uh, and Fairbanks. But they were um, uh, at the rate they were riding at, they were at least a week away from Coldfoot, and uh, it would have taken them another day uh, on bicycle to make it back to Dead Horse. But it turned out one of their bicycles was completely inoperable. They had a I'm not a cyclist, but they had a problem with a derailleur uh, that had broke and. Uh, they were dead in the water. They were they were going to have to turn around, walk the bike back to uh, uh, Dead Horse, get on a plane, and fly back down to Fairbanks to be mm-hmm. able to get the parts to repair it, which it, it turned out the parts were not even in Fairbanks. They had to ship them in from the lower 48 somewhere. Uh, 
But uh, I pulled over to ask if they needed help because in the north, that remote, that's, that's what you do. Uh, as I understand it, in the winter, it's actually a crime to not uh, uh, pull over to assist someone wow. uh, in remote areas like that. But um, I pulled over to ask what they need, and uh, it was uh, it was two women in their twenties uh, that you know were along the side of a road in a remote area that mm. they were very thankful that I had stopped, and they they were asking if they could uh, hitch uh, hitch a ride back to uh down to fairbanks or at least as close as they could as they could get and i was like well this road doesn't go anywhere but fairbanks heading this direction and that's that's where i'm going so i'll, I'll take you all the way we disassembled their bicycles uh stuffed them in the in the back of the truck and um uh, i actually had taken the back seats out of my truck so they swapped out turns of who was going to sit on uh my uh, clothing bag with my pillow on the back <laughs> since it was, <laughs> since there was no seat we're, we're, uh. whoever was in the back was not running a seat belt and didn't have a real comfortable ride, but uh, uh, made it as good as I could anyway with what we had. And uh, it was uh, about a 12 hour drive. Uh, That's insane. Like I said, around 400 miles back South down to Fairbanks. And again, since it was two younger women, I'm not going to, not going to stop and set up camp or anything like that, make them uncomfortable. So I just drove through yeah. for the next 12 hours and dropped them off, uh, at a, uh, at a hostel in, uh, Fairbanks at about, uh, 3 AM and, uh, uh, followed them on, uh, followed them on social media to make sure they had made it, uh, made it, uh, back up there and can continue on with their Good. trip. They were, yeah, they were, they were traveling the, uh, uh, Trans-Alaskan Pipeline from uh, Dead Horse all the way down to Valdez, uh, mm. and it took uh, it took them I think uh, six weeks to complete that, and they Gosh. were they were bike packing the entire time. Uh, so you've have you been in contact with them or were just what? How have you? Yeah, I, I would uh, you... I would message them every once in a while, or they would message me. Uh, I know they used my uh, uh, mile post book that i have that has uh it has uh different routes it has uh very cool mile by mile uh layout of uh exactly what you're going to be seeing they took some pictures of that so they were they'd ask for a little bit uh uh information and i uh, it's like i hit them up and i told them hey i know you're going to valdez and on the way is uh mccarthy the the small town that i went over to i was like yeah, i know it's a ways over there it's an extra you know, day and a half ride for you. But, uh, if you get a chance to go over there, it's a cool town. And they ended up, uh, they ended up, uh, going by there, spending a couple days. Very cool, man. I love that. I love how you, you ran into other, uh, travelers that were on a different means of traveler, you know, and, and you, you rescue them and all that stuff. How cool of a story is that then to be able to catch up, you know, all these months later or however long and see kind of their progress along the way. That's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and while it was in Coldfoot, uh, with them actually on the way back down to Fairbanks, we ran into another bike packer, uh, who's, um, who's traveling, uh, from dead horse all the way, uh, to the southernmost uh, point in South America. So he's, he's planning to bike pack uh, the entire trip. And, uh, I've been, uh, I've been keeping up with him, uh, uh, on, uh, Instagram, uh, keep an eye or just kind of get an idea of how his trip go is going and where he is. And, uh, last I checked, I believe he's, 
just now in Vancouver. So he is, uh, he's oh, made wow. it quite a ways. Yeah. He's about to cross yeah. into the lower 48. Wow. That's so cool. People out there, man, like that, that kind of stuff is just like mind blowing to me. Uh, I love it though. I love how we're all different and, and people get motivated, motivated and stuff off different things. I think it's great, but, uh, dude, we have surpassed an hour and I think this is a world record for the longest episode of Budge Overland podcast. So <laughs> let's, uh, yeah, let's see here. if We can get some cheering going on. That's, uh, that's pretty cool. And that was, pretty cheesy but i mean if you have it and you don't use it you might lose it so <laughs> is there anything that you want to tell everyone out there in podcast world if they're considering doing a long distance overland travel trip like this i mean you took i mean 32 days fourteen thousand seven hundred miles um you know as far as maintenance and all that stuff goes if you don't mind touching on that and then kind of go back into you know kind of uh encouraging others to kind of do something similar as far as maintenance goes, um, I just made sure uh, and went through everything, changed all of my fluids, uh, and double-checked everything well before my trip. So I had time to put a few miles on any of the maintenance that was done to make sure I didn't screw something up and uh, it was going to fail on me. Put new tires on, put new brakes on uh, before the trip, and uh, I had nothing, nothing go wrong with me the entire time. Uh, I did do an oil change on the road. Uh, Again, since it was uh, 14,700 miles round trip for me, I needed at least one oil change. So I, uh, I did do that. And then uh, once I got back down into uh, Washington, I stopped in uh, Yakima and uh, stopped by the old discount tire and had uh, uh, rotate and balance because I had a couple tires that were slightly out of balance from all the miles of wear on them. But um, no, no. Uh, as soon as I got back, you know, it, it, it got a, uh, got everything looked over very closely to see if anything, uh, had worn or damaged. And, uh, I didn't find any problems with anything, just, uh, basic maintenance. Uh, the truck has, uh, 160,000 miles on it now, but, uh, you know, that's, that's just getting broke that's in a, for a Toyota. Lot, that's a lot of adventuring, man. I love it. That's so cool. That is so cool. And as far well, as dude, other people, words, as far as other yeah, people ahead. that are thinking about uh, about doing it, do uh, do your research, but uh, don't pin yourself down uh, to uh, an exact route. Uh, try to research everything along the way, and uh, when you get a chance, ask the locals for what's something uh, what's something interesting to see or do in the area. Um, it's uh, it's it's kind of overwhelming whenever you first start looking into it, but uh, you know, give yourself plenty of time beforehand to do the research, uh, and just don't take it too serious whenever you're on the road. Uh, so I I left myself very open to to go wherever I wanted if I found something that looked interesting to be able to go do that. Like listening to someone's ham radio and suggesting a killer hiking trail. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I love it, man. Uh, all right, dude. So we have surpassed the record. And if anyone wants to try to break this record, you can send me an email, uh, budget overland podcast at gmail.com. We'll get you on the show. Let's see how, uh, what kind of a cool story you could share with us. But, uh, man, Cody, 
appreciate you coming on, man. We probably could have talked another two hours for sure. Um, but yeah, let's, uh, let's have you back on the show sometime. Maybe talk about a Colorado trip or something fun like that. Something different and, and, uh, share your wisdom. Are you going to go to rendezvous in the Ozarks? Uh, I am trying to, I'm planning on it. Uh, okay. not sure yet if everything's going to work out with the family for me to be able to make it over there then. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I want to get out there and, uh, and, uh, see you again and meet, uh, meet some other new people. Yeah, man, that'd be fun. So if you guys are going to rendezvous in the Ozarks, be sure to check, check out, um, the BO meetup hangout. It's from, uh, 7 PM till whenever, uh, BYOB, it's going to be in front of the main stage. I've got a lot of, uh, free giveaways. Once you show up, we'll give you a ticket. Um, so anyway, Cody, appreciate you guys go check them out on Instagram, red dirt taco. It's at red dirt taco. All one word is, uh, is that the only social you've got? Is that where you want people to go find you? That's pretty much the only place that uh, that I do much, and I don't do a lot on social media. But if you go over there and uh, and you want to ask me anything uh, about any of my trips or about planning your own trip to Alaska or Canada, uh, I'm more than willing to uh, answer whatever I can. Very cool. Cody, appreciate you coming on the show, everyone. We'll see you back here Monday for Overland Shenanigans. Bye-bye. <laughs>